Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is someone who has always known laughs are more powerful than screams, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm swell. Hey, what movie are we tackling today? We are tackling Monsters, Inc., which is the whole reason that we opened up the year 2001 uh, into into our vault. From, uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, solid Pixar movie. I know huh? it's your favorite. It is my favorite Pixar movie. Um, so I, just some key facts to set the stage here. Randy Newman, who was the same original songwriter for Toy Story, won an Academy Award for Best Music with If I Didn't Have You. Um, Monsters, Inc. was nominated for an Academy Award, but actually lost to Shrek. It was a strong year for competition. It definitely was. Um, so Pete Doctor of Pixar began developing Monsters, Inc. in 1996. And the movie took five full years to produce. So in 1994, there's this infamous lunch that happens uh, between Pete Doctor, John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, and Joe Ranth. And it serves as a brainstorming station where ideas like Monsters, Inc., a Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, and Wally were all conceived, all in that one lunch. Wow! Uh, so if, uh, yeah, so if someone invites you to lunch, you go, right? Um, <laughs> that, that's always the answer. Because sometimes you score a four movie deal, you and know, sometimes, and sometimes you just got to eat, right? Um, right? Sure. So that's right. So the original movie pitch was to have a grown man haunted by all of the monsters he drew as a child, which I think is pretty funny. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there was a, apparently a, his mother had a binder and is, you know, ha- as we all move out and we get uh, our childhood things come back to us, right? Uh, the binder then came back to him, he puts it on his shelf and all the monsters pop out and start, you know, haunting him. But I think we got a, I think we got a better movie than that. I think um, we do too. Yeah, so Joe Grant, who's a longtime Disney animator who... Yeah, he was the one with the English Springer Spaniel named Lady. He led the development of Pinocchio. He came up with the title Monsters, Inc. And he based it on a somewhat kind of obscure movie from 1960 called Murder, Inc., which is a film detailing the rise and fall of a 1930s mafia in Brooklyn. Sure. So, you know, so it's kind of a fun. If you know that movie, it's kind of a fun. Oh, Monsters, Inc., Murder, Inc., that's interesting. Although it's kind of funny in the world of Monsters Inc. in the world of Monstropolis, where people are monsters, there's a company called Monsters Inc. That would be like if we had a world called Humans Inc. or People Inc. Oh yeah, but I mean, well, it's coming. It's okay. <laughs> Fair so enough. on there was a Freakonomics radio podcast called People I Mostly Admire, and in that podcast, Pete Doctor claimed that the film Paper Moon with Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill gave the team, the idea of someone being stuck with a kid they don't want to be stuck with. And he also said that John Lasseter came up with the punchline of the movie, that laughter is 10 times more powerful than fear. And so, which is great. And um, Mary Gibbs, who's the voice of Boo, she is the two and a half year old daughter of Rob Gibbs, who's one of the story people at Pixar. And since the movie took five years to make, her speech, you know, as a two and a half year old to a seven year old, obviously becomes better. 
um, the editors of the film had to go back and back again, and the sound editors had to make her sound more toddler-like. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know that I've seen a real live-action movie with more convincing toddler dialogue than this movie. Oh, this is great. exact. This is, I mean, it's funny, but it's funny because of how accurate is that that part where she's in the bathroom and she's oh singing God. this <laughs> gibberish nonsense song that is that is real yeah totally totally um <clears throat> so john goodman and billy crystal recorded their lines together which is a little unusual uh, voice actors usually are recorded separately and then edited together and crystal started out that way but he didn't like the process he called it lonely and really frustrating but when both Goodman and Crystal got together. They both loved the process. And of course, the energy of the project uh, picked up quite a bit. Versions of that story are almost always true in animation. They always want to get people separately and then record them together. I mean, Andy, you and I are separately recording our tracks for this and merging it together. And it makes this process really hard. It would be much better if we just had a conversation instead of like you, you, you recording something, sending it back to me and back and forth. We're not doing it that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we're really not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it would be hard, like, right? Like, if, if, yes. we, if we did do that, that would be really hard and weird. Well, I acting think. is about working with the scene partner. And you get yeah. to do that in movies. And why? And I, I can totally understand why you would want to do that in animation. That yeah. you want to be working with your scene partner. So you're reacting to what they're saying. Well, you're, yeah, you're playing off their energy, right? So yeah. you're figuring out where that is and figuring out how to modulate that for yourself and your own character and how the two characters work together, not just you saying words, right? Okay, so if Randall's toady assistant, Jeff Fungus, sounds familiar to you, Larry, it's because he's voiced by Frank Oz. What? The voice of Fozzie Bear, your favorite Muppet. Right? He is my favorite Muppet. So he, uh, Frank Oz and Steve Buscemi also recorded a lot of their lines together as well. So, um, and you, I think it makes a huge difference. Um, I do. It is, I think. They, and I they never regret doing it that way. It's not expedient. No. But it's, it's not, it's not it makes for at all. a better animated movie. There's just Absolutely. no argument against it. Yeah, for sure. So, Monstropolis's most exclusive restaurant, Harryhausen's, is named for Ray Harryhausen, the man who created stop-motion uh, animation monsters for a number of projects, including Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans. So, a little tip of the hat there. There are sure. so many great Easter eggs in this movie. We could make us one single podcast outlining all of them. Uh, no, my, I mean, fa my favorite one to find. My favorite one to find is. Uh, the cereal ingredients that uh, are on the cereal box of the cereal that uh, Sully feeds Boo. Very funny. And see, and see, for me, it's all the toys that Boo shows Sully mm -hmm. at the end. She's got mm -hmm. a Jesse from Toy Story. She's got the Pixar ball. She's, she's got, got a Nemo. She's got Nemo. Right? right. I don't even think Nemo had come out at this point. It was. No. It's like a. But uh, I, I love that. I was happy to see all of them. Yes. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff all around. Love it. That's okay. what I got. <laughs> Very cool. So then let's let's get into the movie right away. Uh, Manish, the Manish Tana of this movie, why does this movie start where it starts? This movie does not begin with our protagonists. Instead, we start off in a room 
where we see there's a young boy sleeping. Uh, there is a monster uh, coming out of the closet, uh, coming over to them. Why do we start the movie here, Andy, in the sequence that we will quickly learn is it has a nice little reveal. It's a training sequence. It isn't really a boy being uh, being scared by a monster. Why do we start here rather than with our main characters? So many reasons. Um, and I think it starts, uh, first of all, exposition, right? We have yes. a whole world that's being built here that is not your typical world. And we get a nod to that in the jazz animation for the opening credits, right? Um, which is kind of an homage to earlier Disney projects. It's like the 101 Dalmatians. We see a bunch of dogs. We know there's going to be 101 Dalmatians. We see a bunch of, you know, we see doors opening to closets and opening to monsters and screams and, you know, doors are closing and hundreds of doors. And it, it really sets the stage. Um, even though we're going to see monsters and hear screams, we know it's going to be a comedy, right? I mean, what we need to do right off the bat is this is a movie for children. Mm -hmm. And we need to establish for children that they're not going to be scared. They might right. see other kids getting scared, but they can't be scared of the monsters. Correct. Um, and, and truthfully, the Monsters, Inc. monsters are less scary than the Nightmare Before Christmas monsters of Halloween oh, Town, sure, right? Sure, sure. And, and the, room, the room looks a little like Andy's room in Toy Story, right? The simulation room. And yep. the monster is in the room. And it might get scary... A little, it is a little scary until you realize that, I mean, the punchline is that the monster is twice as frightened by the kid as the kid is of the monster. The monster completely messes it up and it sets up this interest. So there's an interesting thing they do, which is they set up the power dynamic here, which is that actually the kids are more dangerous to the monsters than the monsters are to the kids. Right. right? And so that's that's a way of empowering the audience a little bit. Uh, I have a I have a couple of stories about, you know, the monsters that chased me when I was a kid and the monster that chased Xander when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's and really the trick to it is the kid has to realize they have all the power in the relationship with the monster. Yes. And that's this movie tells us that right away from the beginning. It also gets us so much exposition within five minutes. We know why monsters go into kids' room. It's not because they're jerks. It's because they need the energy. We know that there's an energy crisis. Uh, we know that the monsters are only pretending to be scary. Uh, we, we get so much world building right off the bat here. We haven't even met Sully and Mike yet. Right. I mean, we have Water News introduced, right? And he claims that he needs scarers. Um, but he says things like, in case that... Um, that little bit wasn't clear that children that the monsters are more afraid of children, right? He says things that are hilarious that would be really shocking to a kid, like nothing more deadly or toxic than a human child. A single right. touch could kill you, right? Or if you leave a door open, a child could walk right into this factory, right into the monster world, right? And so it this totally turns everything that children inherently believe about monsters on their on its ear. Yeah. And right. it it affirms the kid's experience, but says, but also like, so if you're a kid who's scared of a monster, um, it affirms your experience, but also tells you, but here's the secret you didn't know. Here's right. the thing. Here's the thing you didn't know about that monster in your room. Right. Shall we go into structure? Sure. So um, very. Oh, yeah, go ahead. 
So very shortly after that initial uh, that initial training sequence, uh, we start meeting our monsters. It's it's the uh, now now Andy is not a fan of movies where we open to an alarm clock waking somebody up at the beginning at the beginning <laughs> this is of the an movie. Exception. This is an but, exception. <laughs> but why is it an exception, Andy? It's You're an right. Exception. It is an exception. It's an exception because it's a pl- they're playing with the trope. They're having fun with it. I mean, this is a movie that tells us from the get go it's gonna uh, it's it, things are not as they seem, and so it's super fun. Yes. So there's this initial subversion. The alarm goes off. We hear what sounds like the traffic report, uh, the news coming in. But then we pan over and we see that it isn't the radio uh, going off. It's actually Mike has broken into Sully's house and is pretending to be the radio. And this is a part of their sequence right from the beginning. Mike, They start every day with Mike doing some extra training with Sully. Uh, really getting him pumped and ready for work before they hit the scare floor. Which, without overtly telling us, sets up the relationship between Mike and Sully. Yes. That Sully's not, Sully doesn't react with a, Blah, what are you doing here? No. Mike's here every day. Right. We, we don't need them to say they're best friends. They're doing best friend stuff. They are comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. Mike and Water, even- Water News says things like, "I, you know, he claims he needs scarers who are tenacious and tough and intimidating like James Sullivan. And we see him, and the first thing we meet, he's not tenacious, he's not tough, he's not intimidating. He gets, he he's scared awake with an air horn, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's funny. And so he may be tenacious and tough and intimidating at work, but we know there's another side to Sully. I, I, I think that's true. And I think it also establishes that while Sully gets all the glory, Mike is the unsung hero behind the scenes who, oh, who yeah. does not get we, we see again and again. He doesn't get the attention that it would be so easy to throw him a little crumb of recognition. Uh, he'd be so happy for it. He even takes the less than a crumb that he gets. Right. Uh, but but it's Mike who wakes Sully up every morning. It's Mike who trains and keeps him focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sully without Mike would not be the top scarer. It's the two of them as a team uh, that 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 is the secret ingredient. So we we walk around Monsteropolis for quite some time. They walk to work because there's an energy crisis. Uh, we get into into Monsters Inc. Uh, we see Sully, you know, talk to to Waternoose. We meet Randall, who's his rival. Uh, you know, Mike meets Roz, uh, and we see that their relationship is is a little bit fraught. We meet Celia. Uh, I mean, that is ninety five percent of our main cast within yeah. yet another ten minutes. This is for as big as this world is. It really is a small core cast. Yeah, and and, the, and I think that's the way you have to do it. Um, I think if you're going to build a world this big. Having character after character after character, I mean, really being concise with what job everyone's doing, I think it's really important. Um, it does have this blue collar feel, um, mm-hmm. like a. It, it reminds me of a big General Motors plant or something. Um, and and we we get these little lines that are peppered throughout there, like one of these days I'm going to let you teach that guy a lesson, right? Or right. We see the newspaper headlines of the scream shortage. We know that Sully is the scarer of the month. 
Um, yeah. Even set up the idea of being exiled. Uh, and, you know, it's almost like a throwaway line. Of course, it's going to pay off later. Sure. But like Mike says this thing about, yeah, what about Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and the Abominable Snowman? All of them have been exiled. Like, right. very, very quickly. Uh, just just the exposition is just delivered seamlessly, quickless, quickly, effortlessly. And we see Sully as this obedient, hard worker who really reveres Water Noose. Yes. Uh, we learn all about the 2319s and the CDA. Uh, we see how seriously this world takes child contamination. And we learn that all doors must be returned with no exceptions, right? Yes. All of this happens within 20 minutes. I mean, it's it's good. And, it's, and while it's all happening, there's so much visual interesting things happening that yes uh you, you know even like little sight gags of like gelatinous guy who falls through the sewer uh the sewer grates there's there's just so much eye candy the gigantic enormous guy who's like who's who we never see again with just the giant foot we never see a monster that big again but we have a good time just seeing his foot for a little bit and the stock don't stock lot i mean all of this is just really fun um it's just it fun. is but it isn't a movie until we get to an inciting incident. That's until right. the thing happens that has never happened before. Yes. And this movie has an implication that there is a false inciting incident about to happen. I think we know it's not, but that like today might be the day where Sully breaks the scream record of, mm -hmm. of all time and Randall's close on his heels, but not we all know that's not the inciting incident. Andy, what is the inciting incident that launches this movie. There is only one right answer. Yes, there is. Um, so Mike doesn't file his paperwork and Sully files it for him. And he discovers a lone door at Randall's station 20 minutes into the movie. The big inciting incident is Sully meets Bo. Yep. And everything changes mm -hmm. because... Sully has never, Sully may have scared children before. He has never interacted with a child before. A human right. child entering the world of Monstropolis, it's been set up. That cannot happen. Mm -hmm. And yet it's happening. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's very clear. And we kind of know that has to be the inciting incident here. It's the thing all of the characters are so desperately afraid of seeing happen. Mm hmm. All right, so we're in agreement in inciting incident, and yep. I would imagine, listener, you knew this one too. Come on, you did. So we're gonna good move job, good job, <laughs> good job. Spray yourself with some odorant. <laughs> wet dog. Um, wet dog. Uh, so we get rising action. Everything from that point on is a series of dominoes tipping, tipping themselves over one at a time. Uh, Sully has boo. Uh, Sully doesn't know what to do. Sully Sully becomes friends with Boo. Sully crashes Mike's date with Celia. He lets Mike in on the situation. They try to bring her back to her door. There is a bit where Mike sort of makes a deal with Randall, but the deal is a bad deal. It's 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 one thing after another. We learn that Randall Mike thinks. Randall is all about breaking the scare record, but actually there's something far more sinister that Randall is up to. 
All of this is leading to how, this is a very fast movie, by the way. I was surprised at how short it is. This is leading up to our, uh, oh, continuing along the rising action, we eventually realize Randall is not the true villain of this movie. Mm -hmm. He's taking direction from from Waternoose. Mm -hmm. Mike and Sully are exiled to the the uh to tibet the himalayas himalayas Himalayas. yeah Yeah. they're exiled to the himalayas that is an all hope is lost moment and that's about the midpoint of the movie yeah i mean so crazy so what is the climax of this movie where are the good forces of good and evil contending where are things at their highest possible tension point well i mean i think sully's been growing into a character who loves a child instead of fearing that child like you said and he also learns what he looks like when he scares a child oh that's such an important moment oh it's huge it's huge for him um because wow he's faced with his own face right uh, and he's also faced with the face of the, he sees her for the first time, right? Um, I think the entire third act is pretty climactic. I mean, you have Randall banished to the bayou. You have the moment where the guys in Boo ride the door down to the scare floor, surrounded by the CDC and Water Noose. I think trapping Water Noose in the simulator and the Roz reveal is probably the climax, though. But then there's an emo- then there's an emotional climax in there too, so. right? So there is a huge big action set piece that is definitely part of the climax, and it is Sully fighting Randall with Mike, and they're in the doors, they're grabbing Boo from one another. It is a big chase set piece, but when it's over, we might be expecting that's the end of the climax. And it isn't. So it's not like there are, I don't think that there are multiple action climaxes. I just think it's, we're climbing a mountain and everything, every time we think we're at the top of the mountain. We're not, right. We see like, oh, there's more to go. (laughs) Um, Because of course, uh, it doesn't matter if they defeat Randall. The world needs to know exactly what it is that Water Noose was trying to do. They need Mm -hmm. to clear their names and they need to get Boo back to safety. So then there's this additional there's this additional misdirect where Mike runs off pretending to have Boo, uh, and Water News chases Sully, and we get the confession. Uh, you know, it, but it is a long extended climax. Mm-hmm. However, Andy, you say that there is another climax, an emotional climax here. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering where you see it. Well, um. I think it is where Kitty has to return Boo to her bedroom, and the door gets shredded forever. Yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty tough emotional moment, <laughs> and the con- but but the conflict is entirely internal because Boo doesn't mm-hmm. understand what's going on. No, no, and again, that great piece of dramatic tension, right? That uh, it, we ha- we see that, and, and we feel with Sully what she can't possibly feel. There is one other thing I could point to as a climax in this movie. I don't really think it is because mm-hmm. the it, it would be if you if your perspective. I think I think you and I probably agree, and maybe I'm wrong, Andy. Uh, but I think the most important relationship in this movie is between Sully and Bo. 
And I think probably for you, that is sure. the that is the most important relationship. Yes. If you were to take the perspective that the important relationship is between Sully and Mike, you might think the climax is uh, about their friendship. <laughs> their friendship falls apart in the Himalayas. Right. They have a big fight, which I want to talk about when we get to talking about Mike, because yeah. it's important. Um, and then... Then there's the moment where actually Mike does show up for Sully, mm -hmm. uh, and and their friendship is repaired, united in protecting Boo. I don't really think that's the climax. No, it but is. it is it is the repair of that because it, it is that it gives us hope to keep going. Uh, right. Because in that all hope is lost moment with Sully, you're in the Himalayas, and. Now your best friend is also in the Himalayas, but he didn't want to have, have anything to do with you, right? So you have to figure out, well, what's, what's next? And so, so he, he's that, willing to go solo, yeah. It's not the climax, but, but it does feel like an important beat on their story. Oh, it's yeah. Just, sure. It's just this, as much as this movie maybe pretends that this is their story... It really is Sully and Boo's story more than it is Sully and Mike's. Agree. Agree. And then yeah, we Sully, get... Sully and Mike are going to be okay. Yeah. Regardless of what happens, they're going to be okay. But we don't know about Boo and Sully. What's going to happen? Don't know. Right. Well, Boo and Sully is the new relationship. Mike and Sully has have, have a long history that Mike says goes back to the fourth grade. Right? <laughs> right. He right. says that he says that early on. Although future movies that is a continuity issue but we'll put that aside right so let's talk a little bit about the falling action because there's plenty of it oh my goodness and i think of all the movies that we've looked at this probably has more falling action than any of them agreed there's there's just a lot of things that are being set off uh and i think it's being set off in such a way that if you're a kid if you're a kid watching this, uh, you might feel like, hey, my relationship with my monster has changed. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're telling us why. It's because now monsters don't scare. They get jokes. They they get laughs. And the laugh there is more important than, than the fear. They want something different from the kids now. We see that Sully is now in charge of the corporate the corporation. Monsters, and we know Inc. that because he's wearing a tie. <laughs> he's transitioned. He's management now. Yes, he is. But he's, he's still helping out. He's still helping out on the floor. You know. Yo, he's a hands on. He's a hands on uh, manager. Yeah, he's, he sure he, is. Uh, Mike's relationship with Celia and her snake hair have mm -hmm. been repaired. Mm -hmm. Um. We're, we're seeing all of the things. And then Mike has his final gift for Sully, which is the door that was destroyed irrevocably. He painstakingly, over the course of however long it's been, put this door to back together splinter by splinter so that uh, Sully could be reunited with Boo one last time. Which is uh, a heart tug for the ages. It really, really is. Uh, it His expression... Her her voice and his expression is the mm. exact right moment to go. We don't need to see her again because no. we need to we need to hear her, but we do need to see him. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's right. And then, of course, we have a, an epilogue beyond that, where Mike creates the musical version of what they've been through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Outstanding, you know? I mean, we never want to leave this world, at least I don't. And and the I think the filmmakers didn't want to leave it either. And so they're like, oh, let's stay here as long as we possibly can. No, um, and, that's, and that's a fun beat. And, you know, that monsters have stopped scaring kids and only make people laugh now makes perfect sense because we've all been laughing this entire time and no one's ever really been completely afraid. I mean, we've no. seen Randall, but Randall's Randall's the scariest monster, I think. And we you can would talk have about to, why. You, yes, he is. But you would have to be really, really, really young in the audience to yeah. find this movie as to be scary. They've taken great pains to make sure that we're not. Yes, yes. Including making all the monsters in pretty much, most of them are in pastel colors. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a choice of palette that um, really helps soften them. I think it's so, I think it's so smart. Yeah. Well, let's we talk about into- characters. Yes, yes, let's do it. Uh, so James P. Sullivan, played by John Goodman, uh, I think is the protagonist of this movie. He's definitely the protagonist in this movie. Uh, more than any other character, he's the one who changes and grows. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what is interesting about Sully for me is I when we see him and we meet him, he's he's got a reputation as the number one scarer at the corporation, right? And he doesn't seem unhappy with his life. He's got a he's got a really solid work life. Mike makes a comment about how Sully doesn't really have much of a personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mike does. Mike's a social social animal. Uh, I, I just get the sense that without Mike, Sully would be super lonely. Mm-hmm. But he's not, a Dis- he's not a Disney princess, though, Andy. He doesn't have his I Want song. He's not sitting there waiting for something better to come along. We don't see him sit in his room and sigh sadly because he's got nothing going on in his life. He's content. Well, he is. He's he's content because he's emulating, you know, his mentor, who is Water News, right? Whose whole life is the company. Whose whole life is the company. And he thinks, well, that should be my life, too. Yeah. And but he's he I what I what I find interesting is. He's not unhappy in the way that our Disney princesses are unhappy. But he discovers that even though he wasn't unhappy, he wasn't as happy as he could be because there was a void. It's just not a void he could identify. And it's mm-hmm. not a it's it's a void that Boo fills. He's a stand up guy, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's 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 the guy who's going to walk to work in the middle of an energy crisis. Right. He's the guy who. Is going to always say thank you and kind of minimize his own, uh, you know, oh, it's just another month here at the office, right? Um, he doesn't really, I mean, takes a little pride in that uh, scaring at the uh, slumber party. But yes. be- beyond that, it's, you know, he cracks his knuckles a little bit. But beyond that, he's he gets his fulfillment out of work. He doesn't even really have a rivalry with Randall. Randall has a rivalry with him. Correct. Mike is ha, is the one who Randall has to like uh, swap barbs with 
because right. Sully's kind of above it all. If if I I honestly believe if Randall w- broke the scaring contest, mm-hmm. Mike would be the not Mike Sully would be the first one to go over to him, shake his hand, and say, "Well done." He doesn't oh, seem yeah to, yeah for sure. He, he's just not competitive in that way. Uh, I think and, the only and, time we see a niggle where Sully is maybe unhappy is in the locker room where, you know, Mike says, she's the one. This is it. She's the one. And he says, yeah, I'm happy for you, you know, but there's no longing. You don't see a longing for him to have somebody to be with. Listen, I, I don't necessarily want to get into a talk about like, you know, you know, Sully's sexuality, but. I, I I could tell you, like, if you told me Sully is not someone who is interested in having a romantic partner and is perfectly content to be alone, yeah, I I, I think it. the text supports that. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it does. It and, and he's not jealous of Celia taking away Mike from him. There's there's none of that. He no. is he. What what is amazing for me, and I guess what I'm getting to it is how virtually perfect Sully is, mm-hmm. which is not normally how we create a character. Right. But it works. And I think it works because Mike can give voice to all of the negative flaws. Like like Mike will balance him out and come in with so many right. uh, so so many interesting character traits. Uh Sully's the straight man in their duo. I was just getting ready to say that. And not only is he a straight man to the the Mike Wazowski's wise guy, right? He's also uh, a true believer in this in this corporation. And I think when, when that dark side is exposed, he's got decisions to make. I honestly think the big thing for, for Sully and in a more adult movie, you'd make more room for this, right? Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) when Disney inevitably decides, let's do a live action monsters Inc. That's for adults. (laughs) You know, that day is coming Andy. Um, But when they decide to do that, the meal to be made here, is that Sully needs to have a larger dark midnight of the soul where he realizes he thinks about all of the kids he scared in mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. And we the movie hints at it and I think mm-hmm. I think it threads the needle perfectly. I don't want to go to this dark place more than the movie than the movie goes to. I think I think it ruins it. But like in the mm-hmm. if you think of this as the movie version of a novel that doesn't exist. Sully really needs to think about the first kid he ever scared, all of the trauma that he has maybe perpetuated on children. When he sees what Randall has done to Boo, he has Mm -hmm. to have that reckoning of, oh my goodness, I I, have trauma. I am Randall. Mm -hmm. I'm Randall to other kids. I'm not better than he is. I actually, now for finally I know why they call us monsters, because Mm -hmm. what I've been doing is monstrous. monstrous right right i don't and i want to be clear listener i don't want this in the movie but i want it in the world of the movie well uh, i think and, i think that moment larry where he is in the simulator is like we said earlier is just so important because he growls yes. boo is terrified runs away from him and he sees himself and he goes oh my is this the man i am because he's, he's been trying to be perfect but then there's this, again, he's been sold this lie that you have to scare kids in order to power the city. When he scares Boo and has done Boo harm, 
That for him is what changes. Uh, and and what's what's in what mm-hmm. it again in a more adult movie, he should make the decision he's going to quit the scaring business, even though he's great at it. Like if water if water news like turned in a movie where water news had nothing to do with what Randall was going on was doing mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Sully should really be grappling. He should have a conversation with Mike being like, I'm not going to get the record, Mike, because I'm never scaring again. Right. What we do is wrong. Uh, uh, in the world of the movie, but not in the movie. That, sure. that, I think, that I think is really what's going on with Sully. And I, and I think they handle it fine. I'm not, I'm not suggesting. I'm oh, not I think, suggesting. yeah. And I think, I think, um, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I think Waternoose's presence, um, if if that weren't there, I think it might be a little morally ambiguous. But right. he has been saying, and you know, he's been preaching. Waternoose has been preaching the same company line all the the whole time. Children are dangerous. This is the problem. And Sullivan's a true believer. So yes. What do you think about Mike, Andy? <laughs> I love Mike Wazowski. Um, and probably I'm a huge Billy Crystal fan. Um. The Deuteragonist Cyclops with the one eye. I mean, it's great. I mean, the fact that he has one eye, so he may not see quite clearly, you know, as clearly it's as he It's a metaphor. Should. It's a great metaphor, right? And so I love how he comes unglued when Sully doesn't do what he wants. There's a whole lot of physical comedy, uh, which Boo finds hysterical, which leads to it leads to the climax, right? Or leads to the yes. uh, falling action. Um I think at first he wants to be rid of Boo before becoming just as determined to save her as Sully. And he gets there, but he gets there. I think the tension between the two friends, um, it's nice that Sully gets there before he does. And I think he's a little jealous of Boo, maybe. So here is, here is how I read Mike and Sully. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, I want to talk about why I love Mike. The thing that they do that makes me love Mike is Mike thinks he's going to be on TV and he gets blurred out. And there's a moment where where Sully is, feels bad for him. It's like, oh, Mike. And Mike's like, I was on TV. <laughs> he's like, thrilled. Like, and he, like, we assume he's on the phone with his mom. And I'm like, did you see it? I was on TV. It was amazing. And he's I'm on the phone star. with Sully's. He's on the phone with Sully's mom. Sully's mom. Yes. <laughs> which is even right. better. Right. Um, and, and for me, that tells me something about Mike. Mike is not someone who feels sorry for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, Mike, takes, Mike takes the pleasure where he can. But there's an underlying tension that has not ever been discussed between the two of them. Which is in their relationship, Mike, generally speaking, has put Sully first. Mm. Mike is Mike gets up every morning to wake Sully and to train Sully and for Sully to get the glory and for Mike to get whatever little crumbs are thrown his way. The corner of the of the employee of the month picture, right? You can see his little, when, little arm, right? Here's a little top of his the, head. The whole reason Celia is mad at Mike is not because dinner was ruined. It's because dinner was supposed to be a moment where Mike put Celia first. That's right. But Sully comes in and needs Mike, and Mike leaves. Mm-hmm. Because Sully is the top priority in his life. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the Himalayas, 
And Mike, for me, the the dramatic moment of this is when Mike says, "What about?" Uh, when he says, "What about the scare record?" And Sully goes, "The scare record doesn't matter anymore." And Mike goes, "What about me? Mm-hmm. Don't I matter anymore?" Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the tension between them. Is Mike like that? There's like little look. I'm not saying Sully's a bad friend. Sully does does right by Mike by taking the report, intending to take the reports to Roz. He's he's not a bad friend, right? But he does get all the glory, he and does. intentionally or not, Mike deserves some. Mike deserves Mike. some of it. Mike uh, Mike does and, have these moments though where he's like not quite clued into what's happening, which I think is pretty funny. Like he does agreed. assume the best about people. And then he's like, my favorite, my very favorite part of this movie is um, uh, the Sully and invisible Randall fight. And yeah. Mike has returned from the Himalayas. We're not quite sure how he got there, but he got there <laughs> probably in the similar way that Sully did. And until uh, he, he carpooled <laughs> with Yzma and Kronk. Right. Until Randall appears and he's talking and he's like, you know, he's, he's like responding. He's like, I'm fighting here. Like, oh, you know, and he goes and he sees Randall and, he, and uh, Sully bashes him in the face and he goes, oh, <laughs> that, is, so that is the funniest moment. So that, that really is. That really is a great moment. Yeah. No, and I, I, I do. I think he's the comedy relief. I think he's Billy Crystal in a monster suit, right? Uh, oh, for sure. The thing, the thing I notice is like Sully is super committed and super nice. Uh, Randall is evil and also very committed to the company, right? Mm-hmm. And Mike is in between. He's not as committed. I mean, he doesn't turn his paperwork in. He doesn't. You know, he's kind of slipshod well, there a little bit. Can we talk foiling a little bit? I know we're going off the outline a little bit. Let's do it. But here's my theory. Randall is Mike's foil. Yes. Waternoose is Sully's foil. Yes, agree. And here's here's my thinking for this. So the thing about Randall, I mean, like let's talk about what his power is. His power is to not be seen, right? Like, right. In the same way that Mike, his power is that he's the power behind no one sees him. Randall, unlike Mike, like Mike, also wants glory. Mm-hmm. He wants the glory. He wants to be the top scarer. He wants to be the one to whom is the super important one in the company. Mm-hmm. But unlike Mike, he is willing to damn himself and do terrible things and be cruel to his partner who's trying to help him. Like, like all of, like... He is the dark version of Mike who lets himself get bitter about the fact that he's not the one who gets the glory. And that's why their exchanges, even though Sully's the one who fights Randall, the one who has verbal confrontations with Randall throughout this movie is Mike. Yeah. Whereas Sully's foil is Waternoose. Because Waternoose is the person who has also given his whole life to the company and is willing to do anything in order for the company to survive. He says, I'll kill a thousand. I mean, he doesn't say I'll kill, but the implication is he will hurt so many children because he's giving his life to the company. Right. And Sully, without necessarily going that extra step, has been willing to scare all of these children 
right. in order to in order for the company to do well. Sully doesn't walk to work. Sully doesn't drive to work because he walks to work because he cares about the company and he doesn't want the company to have to deal with losing more energy. So he's rationed. Like like his whole life. And he knows around the, it. he knows the price of the energy, right? He does. Yeah. Yeah. So so but but that's it. Sully, without connections to Boo and to Mike, becomes water noose. Mm-hmm. And Mike, without connections to Sully, might or not a strong partnership where 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 he can give, might become Randall. Right. Uh, they are that. It's it's good antagonist foiling. It's right. Great. That's it's so that's what great. we're looking for. Yeah. In a movie. So- you know, Steve Buscemi's character is in Randall is so great. I mean, he like you said, he has no real concern for killing children with a scream extractor. He threatens to even put his associate fungus through the shredder and he bullies him. And I yes. think that's an interesting, uh, you know, mirror to the relationship of Mike and Sully. Right. And he can become invisible, which makes him more of a threat and the, he he seems to be the only one that has any sort of like qualities like that. I mean, others can take their eyeballs out or whatever, but becoming invisible—that's interesting. But the scariest thing about a monster isn't when you see the monster; it's when you, when don't, you don't see the monster. That's right. And then he that's, actually and he actually scares scares Sully a little bit. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's scary to know he could be in the room. He yeah. might not be in the room. It's always a relief when you see right. him become visible again. The right. tension always exists when we don't know where he is. Because right. he could be anywhere. And that is the children's experience with monsters. Right, right. So, I mean, he has no empathy. Now, now Mike doesn't have much for Boo either, but he's not willing to kill her. No. Right? And there's a different... He just wants her out of his, you know, out of his hair, right? Um yep. If he has hair, but he, he, he does not, he wants. but no, <laughs> out of his horns, <laughs> out of his horns. Right. Um, so well, let's talk about boo a little bit. Um, super cute. She's so adorable. Oh, she she's is. adorable. And the, and like you said, the vocalizations are straight up right on for a three-year-old two two three-year-old. Yeah, for sure. No argument. I mean, I also, I want to play with boo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, she looks like a fun kid to play with. Uh, like the, the fun, the, like her child play, her vocalizations, like mm-hmm. that little giggly, playful craziness that she does when, when Sully comes in and he, she starts handing him thing after thing, pretending to talk to him and explain what they are. I, I miss that with, my I kids. miss that too. Every time I watch it, I miss it. Um, she doesn't fear anyone but Randall. Interestingly, I mean, she's not, she's kind of fearless. Um, well, because she knows that the thing to be afraid of is the thing you can't see, you know, right. like, I, I I think that's right. Uh, Randall is terrifying. They also yeah. say they match kids up. It's not like, so yeah. never have been matched up with Boo. No. Because her response on seeing him is Kitty. They, they know that's right. not a match. <laughs> right. But he, Randall is specifically paired with her because he's the one she'll be most afraid of. Well, and she overcomes her fear of Randall. And of course, she attacks him herself to protect Sully. Yeah. So, a little bit of a hero there. Love will make you confront your fears. It's the only thing that will make you confront your fears. That's right. Let's talk about Celia and Jennifer Tilly's character. Is it okay if I don't like her? 
it's perfectly fine if you don't like her. I think that let me let me say a few things about her. I think she's sort of jealous. I think she's sort of clingy. Um, mm-hmm. But her anger is completely justified after her sure. at Harry Housen's where she's in a cone of shame, right? After her birthday date with Mike. Um, but other than and, and this is something that, you know, we've we struggle with with these films, but um, and I think they're getting much better. But other than being Mike's girlfriend and the company secretary, there's not much for her to do. She does create one distraction, right? Um, and in the new show, Monsters at Work, I, she has a lot more going on. But I really wish there was something just beyond her physical beauty that helps us see why Mike likes her so much. Well, I mean, even beyond that, I mean, what this reminds me a little bit of Return to Jafar, where I don't like it in movies where the girlfriend gets upset at the boyfriend, but the boyfriend hasn't actually done anything wrong. Mm. Mike has really made an effort. He has not forgotten her birthday. He he went all out for her birthday. The crisis that drives him from the restaurant with her is an actual crisis. He has never lied to her. Mm-hmm. And yet when she says, what's going on here, Michael Wazowski, and he tells her everything, she's like, what a load of garbage, what a lie. And of course, everything he said is true. Mm-hmm. So for me... That ends up tilting it to the problems in the relationship are really that Celia expects Mike to give up on Sully, to drop mm-hmm. everything and make her his entire world, and she's asking too much. Mm-hmm. That being said, the movie is Celia. We're we're only seeing her at terrible moments in her right. life. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know. Who, who knows, she might have th- thought Mike was going to pop the question that night. I think Mike, Mike was going mm-hmm. to pop the question that yeah. night. Yeah, So that that's super disappointing. It's just, and, and they do try to give her a redemptive moment where she's like, go get him, googly bear, where, right. where she makes that announcement and gets everybody to surround Randall to buy him time. Right. So she does, she does get a little bit of an arc, but ultimately this movie is not about Mike and Celia. And, uh, and, you know, we don't see her at her best, which is a shame. Yes, agree. Henry J. Waternoose, voiced by James Coburn, who's fantastic. Um, so, okay, we're going to also watch Toy Story 2 this, mm-hmm. this season, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so mad at myself that in both movies, they trick me in the exact same way. That both Waternoose oh. and The Prospector come off as these paternal, kind, caring figures who I like and respect because the characters like and respect them. And it it's painful to me when we realize mm-hmm. we realize who they really are. Yeah. Right? And I honestly think the thing that's most interesting about Waternoose is he really does respect and see Sullivan as the heir apparent, as the son. Oh, yeah. Probably Water News has never had because he's devoted his whole life to the company. He's probably prepared to give Sully the case to the kingdom and does seem, I don't think he's faking his paternal pride in what Sully no, can do. No, I don't think so either. But I think what's interesting is he doesn't recruit Sully to do bad things. 
Because he, he knows. He uses Sully as the face of the company while using Randall to be the, you know, the more deviant, um, to, to really facilitate says that to dark Randall, side. You're, you won't ever be t- half the scarer that Sully was, even after he's betrayed Sully. Yeah. He says that to Randall. Whose idea do you think this new technology was? Was it Randall's or was it Water Noose's? Man, I think I, it's water. I think it's water noose. I think he's the one who. I think maybe maybe Randall came up with the idea, but water noose bought it, and um, he definitely falls from his moral high horse, right? He because he's desperate. To, you know, we scare because we care, right? Um, that that isn't uh, that. I mean, even just that line that is um, the slogan for Monsters Inc. Um, you know, is a little jarring. You know, well, yeah. you wouldn't scare someone if you really cared about them, right? Well, I mean, it's it's an abusive mindset, which sure. arguably Monsters, Inc. is an abusive company. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, so. No, arguably so, around it. I, I mean, mean, I mean, the climax really happens when the trickster here has been tricked. Yes. I, I think Water Noose has been evil all along. And I think Sully has committed his life to someone who was willing to, again, make him the face of the company, make him put him in the commercials. But there's something about Water Noose being hauled away in that um, CDA van that's incredibly satisfying to me. He's hoisted by his own petard, right? In a very Shakespearean end. And I'm just going nice. to disagree with you a little bit on Water Noose. Okay. I-, I think what makes him interesting to me is I get the sense that rather than being someone who was born to villainy and has always made the terrible choices... I think that he's had a dark midnight of the soul very recently and said, if I'm going to keep my company, I'm going to have to start crossing lines that I've never crossed before. I think he's breaking bad. I, I think he's I, Maybe. I, I think he's looking at the end of his. If you define yourself by the company, which he does, if the company goes away, what else is there for him? Sully would still have Mike. Water News has nothing. Well, and, and so I, I think it's that's well, that's an interesting take, Larry, because on the one hand, he's training new scarers. Right. And so hoping that they'll be good. But on the other hand, he sees the reality that just as children are more difficult to scare, scarers are more difficult to train. Right. So he sees the handwriting on the wall. I mean, maybe you're I, right. I think his right. damnation, I think his uh, oh, damnation is so strong a term, but <laughs> I think I think he has very recently crossed into villainy. Randall approached him with the opportunity. Water News said yes. It doesn't make him less of a monster for making that decision. Monster. <laughs> it doesn't make what he does less monstrous for, right. for, for what he's done. But I think he's a new, I think he's newly monstrous. I okay. I honestly think he used he used to think he was the hero of his story. Interesting. But it is, yeah. for the, you're right. I mean, was, you know, that's certainly a read and, and the good of the company. Um, he, he, he banishes them for the good of the company, he says. Right. Yeah. So the company comes first before anybody. So maybe he's just a greedy capitalist willing to do whatever. I think it's beyond greed. I think he's an Ebenezer Scrooge. Ah, I, 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 I see him more along those lines. All right. We have two more characters to talk about. We do. Um, uh, want to tackle Roz first? Yeah, let's talk or about wanna... Roz. Okay. Let's talk about Roz. So Roz is a great slug. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, the slug is in the mole, right? 
<laughs> I don't understand that reveal. I don't. I like. I like. Love okay. It. Okay. Love it. I mean, she's sure. definitely a laugh getter. You know. I mean, if you watch carefully, like Roz closes her window when the CDA arrives instead of panicking, right? Yeah. And she's always watching, and she's been telling Mike this the whole time. So she's been telling you that she's the mole the whole time. And my, of course, the line, your son's silence is very reassuring. It's hilarious. It's definitely a laugh getter and she's, she's super fun. So. Yeah. yeah. No. Love her. Uh, I, not a lot of depth to her, but the idea that she's a secret hero, it does get a, it does get a laugh. Um, Great. I want to talk about the abominable snowman briefly. Sure. Sure. It is a great magic trick that in the all hope is lost sequence where Sully and Mike are, their relationship is the most frayed and about to fall apart. There is this third character present in the moment, really trying to keep things positive. He's got snow cones. They're like, we're trapped in the Himalayas. And Don't he's worry, like, it's learning. so great. Yeah, you'll learn to lo- so much snow. Uh, it It's... It's a, it's so good for a children's movie in particular mm-hmm. because we get the benefit of the despair that needs to happen between these characters without having to really have a cry in the audience at this moment. Mm-hmm. He diffuses that scene so nicely for the kids watching the movie that they're still having a good time even as we're worried about Mike and Sully uh Mike and Sully breaking up uh right there's still, there's still, yeah there's still hope there right there's still this um you know even if they have to stay banished forever they're eventually going to figure it out even though you know our dramatic questions aren't going to be answered but we have a feeling that something's going to happen these guys are pretty resourceful and pretty agile so maybe they'll figure it out and the fact that sully immediately goes to the you know the 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 wood and the boxes and starts fashioning some sort of sled or something, you know. I need to get there now. I need to do this right now. He 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 makes it happen. So he does. He it's does. Good. It's good. Well, let's talk about world building a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, this movie is a masterclass in world building. I think. Um, and world building. A lot of times we think about sci-fi movies. Um, or we think about, you know, more fantasy. This movie is sort of fantasy. Um, it's more like, how does the monster world work? It's sort of like the human world, but it, there's a lot more fun and games in it. I mean, I mean, it's not a real world. I don't really believe in Monsteropolis the way that I believe in, like, Ariel's, un- Ariel's Undersea Kingdom. Like, okay. like I, I kind of believe that more because Monsteropolis has a lot of jokes in the signs, which mm-hmm. are for us, the humans looking at this world. Right. Like, they know what the word walk means. There's no reason why their shine should, sign should say stalk, don't stalk. That doesn't even make sense. They're not stalking. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it's fun. It's fun mm-hmm. to see. The jokes are fun to see. I don't... Uh, I'm going to controversially say that there's one element of the world building here that really bothers me. Oh? Yes. And it is this. We learn very early in the movie that children are toxic to monsters. Mm -hmm. That touching them could kill you. Mm -hmm. 
that even having a piece of clothing that has touched a child is cause for concern. There is an entire organization dedicated to making sure this calamitous event does not happen. There are people who work every day going into the human world. So when they tell me this, that children can kill monsters with their touch, I'm inclined to believe it. Their reaction leads me to believe that that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's not true. No, but they believe it is. And I think that's part of it. But why do they believe it? That clearly, someone in all the years of going into these classes, this is not the first time someone's had a code, whatever it is, and got 2319. <laughs> what? 2319. 20, code 2319. This is not the first time a 2319 has happened. Right. So why do these people who should know better, have they ever met someone who was touched by a child and died? Has it ever happened? Why do so, they all believe it? it, it so I, have, me, I, have, it I have thoughts about I this. I can't swear it. Yeah, go for it. So, so in a way, the people that believe this the most are the people who run Monsters, Inc., right? Which, yes. is, again, lends, I think, credence to my theory that Waternoose is sort of a, he's sort of a cult leader, right? He, the first thing he has done in this movie is to indoctrinate this world to say, children can kill you, children can hurt you. Right. It's one of the reasons why he's having difficulty scaring, you know, recruiting scarers because they don't want to take the risk of going in there and, uh, you know, harnessing these screams or whatever, because they might get hurt. Right. And they see how dangerous this is. So but then why have that lie? It makes the job harder. Well, but the lie does something because it creates power. And the other thing is that children often tell themselves things about monsters, like if I put my foot over the bed and the monster can lick my foot or my, the monster might be, you know, it might hurt me, right? Just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> then, you know, so I, I think in a way it sort of turns that what children believe inherently on its ear. But just because, but, but I think the power of belief is really strong in this movie um, because we can see that pe- people believe all kinds of things that aren't true. <laughs> if we've learned anything over the past five years, we've learned that, right? Um, so just because, uh, and so I think the fact that Sullivan breaks it down and says, you know, I don't think she's that toxic. I don't think she's going to hurt us. Like I'm touching but, her. What's the deal? Well, let's make a bigger meal of that then. Mm-hmm. Because because if Sully said, children aren't, if he said, he, she, he says, I don't think this child is that toxic. But if mm-hmm. he said instead, They've been lying to us this whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's get that realization. I can hug this kid. I can kiss this kid. I can play with this kid. I can touch. Why have they lied to us? And then use that clue to try to figure out the real reason. That maybe the real reason is, um, you know, they've been told that children are toxic because it's a way of keeping the monsters from loving them, right? You can't love Thanks. this thing. Like, something, something. I just don't buy it. Uh, in the, they, don't, they, don't, they don't pay it off in a way. It is, it is for me, it always is a sticking point when well, I watch the movie. I think they I, changed their entire business model at the end of it over this, too. I mean, I think that's, 
they, I, because if this wasn't true and it wasn't something that they were realizing, I think it's something that happens sort of internally. But you're right. I mean, I think it could be more explicit. You know, like it's it's just it's just something that I cannot believe in the history of Monsters Inc., which has existed for generations, that no one has ever touched a child. Uh, well, yeah, they pull like, them they pull them out of the door and give them a you know a chemical but, bath but and the whole bit. There needs to have been the monster who died from touching a child that needs to exist in this world to pull off this lie. And oh. if you can't think of anybody. Then, well, I mean, I mean, if we really want to go dark, I'm sure that there are, I'm sure that there are stories that they, you know, they talk about uh, at happy hour after work where they talk about, yeah, that one guy, remember, he touched that kid and then he died, you know, when he had just a heart attack and he died of no- natural causes or whatever. So sure. I mean, I'm sure that there are people that get misled. Mm. Mm. All right. <laughs> well, we, we can't solve this problem. I'm just, Probably I'm just throwing not. it out there. All right, well, pitch time. Given this film, the prequel Monsters University, the TV series Monsters at Work, which I highly recommend, uh, the Laugh Factory comics, and the super cute shorts Mike's New Car and Party Central, what would we do with this material, Larry? Uh, For me, uh, I'm going to steer clear of the world of Monsters Universe a little bit and focus instead on the monsters in exile in our world, specifically the abominable snowman. I think I, I find him this cheery, upbeat monster who's been exiled from his home, who's having a fun time in this winter wonderland. Uh, I, I've got two different ways we could go. One is we establish him, we get him establishing a relationship with uh, whatever village near the Himalayas it is that that Sully sled to, uh, that maybe maybe there's a kid who discovers him and he develops a, a friendship with that kid, but they have to keep it a secret. Then the kid comes in trouble, and we have we could go that way with it, or we could have him seeking out the other monsters in exile, the Loch Ness monster, mm-hmm. Bigfoot, and they all get together because the door to Monsteropolis has been closed and they're the only heroes who can find a way to reactivate the doors from this side. Interesting. Been, they, you know, like, that's that's who I want to do. I love him. He's in the movie for five minutes and he completely steals that scene. Love, love, love the abominable snowman. Andy, I love it. What's, what's yours? So mine is not a movie. Uh, oh. Mine is a ride. So I have, my kids and I have been thinking for years that a huge missed opportunity by Disney is to do a Monsters, Inc. ride. I want the roller coaster where I'm on a door and I'm being chased by Randall. Um, I think that those, I mean, the it, the animation is there. I mean, you can see, you can even see it looks like a roller coaster going uh in that and i don't know i want that i have i have two words for you andy yes tokyo disney has it do they really they have a monsters inc ride in tokyo i didn't know that oh my gosh see another reason why i need to go you and i should i i don't remember it vividly it's it's Mm -hmm. in it's in tokyo disneyland uh i but but yeah uh i but is it a roller coaster though it's not a roller coaster. Yeah, I'll see. It's that. not a roller coaster. You need it's to be in the land. More- I want to be in the land of the doors. I want to okay. know all of those doors and figure out. But again, I think again, I think this this new TV series is like I thought of it a long time ago. I'm kicking myself for not pitching it, you know, 
15 years ago. But it's such a great, it's so great. It's so great and lovely and fun. And I love it. But yeah, okay. I, need, I need a Monsters Ride roller coaster. And I didn't know we were allowed to be Imagineers for this. This is going to change <laughs> pitching for me going forward. Well, I couldn't think of anything. No, no, no. I, I am all about being an Imagineer. I would I would love that job. We, sh- we yeah. should do that more often. Yeah, we should. We should go uh, apply down in uh, Orlando. I hear they're all moving down there. Uh, you, you be Sully, I'll be Mike. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds Sounds great. good to me. So what movie are we tackling next week? Okay, so next week we are tackling Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, but those of you who are watching uh, on Disney+, Plus, there is more than one Swiss Family Robinson there. We want the Disney one from 1960. There is another Swiss Family Robinson on Disney+. Plus. I don't think Disney had anything to do with it from 1940. Right. Uh, but clearly they, they own the rights now. So if you're watching with us, it's 1960. It's in color, I believe. I'll have to investigate that. I didn't know but, there were two. Uh, that's, that's, that's the one that we're doing. Betsy said she watched the 1941 and uh, was not a fan of it. So, uh, okay. I, but I, I, I suspect 1960s will do us a little better. All right. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6. Or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. <laughs>